0: All right, well, good morning. Let's get this out of the way. You ready? OH! <clears throat> All right, I knew you guys were here. It's exciting. I'm, I'm channeling Jim Trussell today or something like that, but um, big, 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 big Urban Meyer fan, but I had the sweater vest, so I thought let's go ahead with that today. Uh, we're going to start today. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3. So if you want to get your Bible out, go ahead and go there. We're going to uh, get there in just a minute. But first, I just want to tell you about a uh, family. Um, <clears throat> Frank and Gail, they, they met each other, they fell in love, and uh, they got married, and then they had four kids. And Frank and Gail named their children these names. Here's a picture of their family. They have a boy whose name is Amet. Okay? That's, you know, it's different, but it's not all that different. They have a girl whose name is Diva. You're such a diva. A son whose name is Dweezel. for real. Some of you, the light just went on. You're like, I know this family. And if you do, then you know there's a daughter left. And if you know her name, say it with me on three. One, two, three. Moon unit. That's right. Moon unit. So Gail and Frank had four children. Munyanit, Dweezel, Diva, and Ahmet, the Zappa family. So there you go. And you thought your name was a little hard to deal with, right? You're like, I don't like my name. Well, as challenging as some names can be, how would you like to grow up with the first name, Unwanted? Literally, that is your name. Well, 300 girls in India recently had their names changed from unwanted to other names. And they had a big ceremony. And the the article that talked about it says this, Donning their best attire, clad in bows and barrettes, the young women gathered in the central state of Maharashtra to receive certificates bearing their chosen new names along with a bouquet of flowers from district officials. What a wonderful day for those precious young ladies. It was literally a new beginning for them. And as we are going through our series in Luke right now, we're talking about new beginnings. And today we're going to see a new beginning in the life of Jesus. So again, if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 21, or verse 21 of chapter 3 for the book of Luke. And this is where Jesus is baptized. So let's read this. Luke 3, 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. So I want to start with something that's not really the main point of this text, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is wanting some of us to hear this as parents. Notice that God the Father said three things to Jesus. He said, you're my son, and I love you, and I'm pleased with you. I think that's a pretty good thing for us to to do as parents, to tell our child, you are very special. I I have a, a, a care and a love for everybody on the planet, but you are my child. And I thank God that we have that relationship. And to to say, I love you, and to, to say those words frequently, and of course to back them up with actions. And speaking of actions, when your child does something good, affirm the good things that they are doing. If you're like me and maybe a lot of parents, you have a tendency to just point out the things that they've done wrong rather than to point out the things that are good and to say, I'm pleased with you. It's also interesting, God does this in public, in front of a whole bunch of people. He says, you're my son, I love you and I'm pleased with you. Now I know what you're thinking. My child does not behave like Jesus all the time. This is an unfair thing. Well, that's true. But if you follow that perfection out, what did the perfection of Jesus lead to? It led to his death for imperfect you and imperfect me and our imperfect children. And God the Father allowed that and watched that. And I don't think I would want to trade places. But I do think God the Father gives us a great example. So tell your kid, I love you. I'm glad you're my child, and I'm pleased with the good things that you do. All right, let's go then to the what I think may be one of the main points of this text here with Jesus and, and his new start. He is accepting the Father's will for his life. He is submitting to the will of God. He is saying yes, and he is embracing this life with the Father, this ministry that he's going to begin And as um, Jesus is praying, as Jesus is praying, he's being baptized. The Holy Spirit then descends. And the voice of the Father says what we just talked about. And so here, in this one snapshot, you have what we call the Trinity. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together in one. Now sometimes Christians have been accused of worshiping three gods. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God with three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each of those parts of God has a distinct role. And to be honest, we can't fully explain it. We, don't, we can't comprehend it. It's one of those mysterious things of God. And to a certain extent, this baptism of Jesus has a little bit of mystery to it as well. Why did Jesus get baptized? We understand why the people who came were being baptized. Because John was saying, you need to repent and be baptized. But Jesus did not sin. So why was he doing this? Why was he coming here and, and saying yes to being baptized? Well, again, it's primarily because he's accepting this new beginning in his life, this new ministry, this new opportunity that God has for him. But he's also submitting to the Father in obedience. And that's part of what we do when we are baptized. But I think there may be something else that that could be at work here. All of the people who were being baptized were sinners. And so Jesus, as he came from heaven to earth, identifies with us. And he says, I'm going to connect with you here. I'm going to meet you here. And Jesus meets with the sinners in baptism. Now, he did that the very day he was baptized. He wasn't the only one. There were all kinds of people being baptized. He was connecting with them. But whenever someone is baptized today, they too are connecting and meeting with Jesus. Now, I've said the word sinners a couple times. I know we don't like that word anymore, right? We, just, we, don't, we aren't comfortable with being called sinners, and we're less comfortable with calling someone else a sinner. But we need to understand that that's kind of where we are without Jesus. We are, we are in a place where our sin has separated us from God. And so we need then to respond as sinners in repentance to the call that God is making on our lives. And baptism is a part of that response. Now, <clears throat> we're going to talk for, about baptism for a minute, all right? this is one of those topics, if you get like a bunch of theologians together at a theological conference or something, and you want to have some fun, just get them, make sure they're all from different groups, you know, you don't want them all from the same group. You get them sitting around a table, and you say, so what is the uh, significance of baptism? And it's like fireworks, man. (laughs) It's like, everybody just starts yelling, and not really yelling, but they might, but um, they start talking about what it means and what the importance is and all of these different kinds of things and different perspectives. And there's a lot of confusion about this topic. And so for just a minute, I want to, and really is going to be brief, I just want to touch on some of the confusion and some of the challenges um, that have come up over this issue. And these are a few reasons that people struggle with the importance or whatever you want to call it, the significance, the place of baptism, all right? One question, one, one conflict that comes up is that today there are people who are baptized who are not believers, and there aren't any examples of that in the Bible. You can't find anyone who was baptized who hadn't made a profession of faith themselves. They hadn't confessed who Jesus was. Now, the most obvious one of these is, is babies, and we're not attacking anybody. We're just saying that you can't. These people are leaving for a reason, I promise. <laughs> like, yeah, we're out of here. Start like talking about baby baptism. <laughs> Seriously, I didn't mention that first service. And I know people were like, wow, he's really making people mad. But it doesn't apply just to babies. It applies to anybody who has been coerced or forced or pressured without honestly believing who Jesus is. And if you look back in the history of Christianity, there are some really, really unfortunate incidents of this. So one problem is sometimes people are baptized who aren't believers and that creates some confusion. Why would that happen? Because it doesn't seem to take place that way in the Bible. Tradition is also another thing that has crept in and a lot of times we, 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 have focus on the things that we've been taught not necessarily from the Bible but from our traditions this is just how things are done and so man's ideas become as is equal with God's and and I'm challenging all of us myself included that it would be really good for us to set aside anything that we brought in as a tradition and use only the word of God and say what does it say what does it say? Because when the Bible talks about it, honestly, it's not confusing. Number three, some people give more weight to baptism than to other things like prayer and repentance and confession and walking with God. Now, again, baptism is a part of our response to God but it's not the only part and some people honestly have made it so big that they it looks like they think that's the only thing that's important it is important but it's not exclusive another thing that happens is sometimes i think we've been guilty of of kind of lumping baptism into this thing at the beginning uh, and then we say, okay, you make this profession of faith, and you repent, and you confess, and you're baptized, and guess what? You're good, man. You're, you're good for the rest of your life. It's like you've, you reached the finish line, right? You've arrived. Now, in a certain way, that's true because of salvation, but, but what we're talking about is this is the beginning of a relationship with God. And all of the challenges and all of the growth and all of the struggles come after this. So don't think of it as an arrival, think of it as a starting place, a new beginning. But I think probably the biggest challenge is that people say, baptism is a work, and they point out that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast, and they're right. They're right in that we are saved by grace through faith. Only, However, baptism is not a work any more than prayer or confession or repentance are works. In fact, baptism isn't even something you do. It's something that is done to you. You are baptized. You don't baptize yourself. Think of it this way. I have a dirty car, and so I wash my car. Now, what part did the car play in becoming clean? It's it's the same kind of thing. I think sometimes we've, we've elevated baptism so high or said it's just not important. I don't think that's what the Word of God says. It's part of what God expects of people who follow him. Well, there's also something else with this baptism of John. It was different than the baptism that we would practice in the New Testament later after Jesus ascended to the Father. And as we would practice baptism here, it's not exactly the same as the baptism that John had. And we know this is true because in the book of Acts, where there are all kinds of great stories about people who are being baptized, in Acts chapter 18, there's a story of a man who is teaching about Jesus. He's teaching publicly about Jesus. And the Bible says that he is versed in the scriptures. He knows the word of God. And he's teaching about Jesus accurately, except for one thing. It says the only baptism that he understood was the baptism of John. And so a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, after he was done speaking, they didn't stand up and shout at him in the middle of his talk about Jesus. They took him aside and they said, hey, have you heard about the baptism that came after John's? And he said, no, what is that? And they explained to him, as it says, the way of God more completely. And so the, the baptism that, that John was doing was different than the baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that Jesus said we are supposed to do when we go out and we make disciples. And, and this is all tied together. It's repentance and confession and forgiveness and death and life and hope and the Holy Spirit. See, what Jesus did on the cross pays the price for our sin that we couldn't pay. And then after he died, he was buried. And after three days, he rose to life. And in the book of Romans, Paul has a great symbolic connecting picture for us. He says this in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So, a lot there. A lot there. The first part of our text is about the baptism of Jesus and the new beginning that comes for him as he submits to the Father. And that's the same kind of thing that would happen for us. As we are baptized, it's a new beginning. It's a connection with Jesus. And Jesus meets people in baptism. Then we go on to the second part of the text, and this is a much longer part, but we'll actually talk much less about it, and you'll see why if you've looked ahead. Although you could talk about this for a long time, we're going to make it fairly brief. But after Jesus is baptized, it says he begins his ministry, and then it goes on to tell the lineage of Jesus, his ancestors. If you read the Bible and you're honest, Most of the time, you start through the list and you go down then to chapter (laughs) 4. Don't lie. (laughs) Well, we're going to read this whole list. And uh, I'm going to probably mess up a few of these names, but that's okay. Um, I'm doing it with all sincerity and the best that I can. But we're going to read through this list of the lineage of Jesus. And in the second half of verse this is what it says he was the son so it was thought of Joseph the son of Heli the son of Mathat son of Levi the son of Melchi and I'm just going to leave the son, off, the son of off as I read the rest of these names till the end Janai Joseph Mattathias Amos Nahum Esli Nagai Math Mattathias Samin, Josèk, Jodah, Joanan, Risa, Jerubabel, Sheltiel, Neri, Melki, Adi, Kosam, Elmadam, Er, Joshua, Eliezer, Joram, Mathat, Levi, Simeon, Judah, Joseph, Jonam, Eliakim, Malia, Mena, Matapha, Nathan, David, Jesse, Obed, Boaz, Salmon, Nashon, Aminadab, Ram, Hezron, Perez, Judah, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, Terah, Nahor, Serug, Reu, Peleg, Eber, Shelah, Canaan, Arfaxad, Shem, Noah, Lamech, Methuselah, Enoch, Jared, Mahalalel, Kenan, Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, to Jewish people, this was very significant. It was important because they wanted to know their heritage, their ancestry, their lineage. And some of you are this way as well. You try to trace it back. For them, it was part of knowing who they were and who they were called to be in their culture, in their society. And as you heard the names there, I'm sure some of them jumped out at you. There are three that were very significant to the Jewish people. And they were David and Abraham and Adam. David, because... Jesus was in the line of David. That was significant, hugely significant. That was his royal connection. Abraham, that Jesus would be in the lineage of Abraham is absolutely important too because God made his covenant with Abraham and Jesus is going to fulfill that complete covenant and then he's going to institute a new covenant. And Adam is the physical connection All the way back to the first man who was created. And Jesus is connected to Adam. So you have the the right, that Jesus has the right to be the king because of his connection to David. Jesus has the right to fulfill the covenant through Abraham. And Jesus has the right to completely fix our sinful condition that came through Adam and Eve. Yes, the family line of Jesus is unique. And so we may think, well, you know, this lineage thing is really only important in the Bible, and it's really only important, especially when you think about people like Jesus. I mean, that's why they list it. But I think God is trying to communicate an important principle to us that applies to us as well. That God is at work even before we are born. God is at work even before we are born. In his commentary on Luke, David Garland writes this. Many people on this list are completely unknown and unknown to them. They were playing a part in salvation history. History never looks like history when you were living through it. It always looks confusing and messy and it always feels uncomfortable. Our lives may seem to be a series of disappointments, our hopes in disarray, and our futures desperate. One knows what God is doing only when one looks back and sees what God has done. All along, God secretly ordered the economy of salvation so that all of Israel's history moved toward the Messiah. It gives hope for the future. God continues to work to bring all things to a final, glorious culmination. End quote. Jesus' lineage is full of all kinds of people, just like yours and mine. There were people who followed God and walked with Him, there are people who completely walked away from God, there are people whose names bring awareness to us. They are known. And there are people who, honestly, the very first time we heard their name was just two minutes ago. Now, you may be well-known or relatively unknown in your life or here in this congregation. You may be a person who is up on the platform and and you sing or you talk and hundreds of people are looking at you and and so you're very well-known. Or you may be the person who comes and picks up the trash and sweeps the platform and there's absolutely no one else who sees it except for God. And to him, those are both important. No matter who you are, no matter your family's heritage, no matter what you have or what you don't have, You are part of history that God is weaving together today. He continues to work in the events and times of history, including your life. And just as before he came, everything in history was pointing to the coming of Jesus the first time, everything now is moving toward the return of Jesus and so, like Jesus, we just need to respond to whatever God is asking of us with a servant's heart. And that best way to do that is to do what Jesus said was most important, which is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then we add the impact of the world because we feel like we need to do that, just to remind us. Loving like that has been a challenge since the Garden of Eden, Right? And there was conflict as soon as there were two people on the planet. It's because we tend to place ourselves first. And the results of that selfishness are tragic, not only for us, but often for the people around us. And humanity has historically struggled with trying to show love. Now, I think we've made some progress and we, we have some things in our country, some laws and, and some attitudes, some understanding that we must care for the elderly and the physically and mentally challenged, the abused, the marginalized. And this pleases God because he designed every single person in his image. And God formed every person in the womb. as Psalm 139 says. However, in the womb in our country today, that's not necessarily a safe place for a child because these most fragile humans are not protected by the law. And since 1973, abortion on demand has been the law of our land. And though the law may permit it, we know that the consequences have been tragic. And to close our service today, we're going to have a special ceremony in recognition of Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Now typically we sing a song together or a few songs in response to what God has been doing through the word, through communion, through the worship time, through prayer. And it's a time for us to respond to God with a commitment, whether we do that privately or we, we come up front to do something public. Well, today, if you have a decision that you want to make that's a public decision or, or even a private one afterwards, but you want to talk to somebody about it, just find me or one of the staff or the elders, and we would love to talk with you and pray with you. And we also tell you that, you know, anytime, just contact us, and we'd be happy to sit and talk with you. But today we're going to end our service differently because we're going to collectively pause and focus on the value of human life. And we mourn the loss of respect for human life through any type of abuse or neglect, but especially for the loss of innocent lives through abortion. And today, during the song that Megan and Teresa are going to provide, a person born each year beginning with 1973 is going to place a rose in this vase. And during this song, we want to focus on remembrance, repentance, and restoration. In remembrance of the precious lives that have been lost. In repentance for not respecting humans who are created in the image of God. And again, that's in any kind of way. And also with a hope of restoration that only God can provide.
1: I've had the same dream It haunts my mind. It starts with a life, but it ends every time. Oh, so many faces that this world will never see. Reason for your life, but your heart will never beat. May the tears fall down, let them soften. to freedom have become these heavy chains and in the name of rights we keep filling fall down, let them soften this ground.
0: close our time together today using a prayer written specifically for Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Would you pray with me? Loving God, in your goodness, you have given us the gift of life. We ask your pardon and forgiveness for our failure to protect and respect this gift that you have given us. We pray that with your grace, all people will respect, revere, and protect all life. And that we'll be especially sensitive to the lives of the unborn, the abused, the neglected, the elderly, and those with special needs. May today be a new beginning for anyone who has been less than faithful in your desire that every person from conception to final breath would be treated as precious. Guide all who make decisions about life that they will do so with wisdom, love, courage, and compassion. We pray this in your name, the Father who gave us life, the Son who saved our lives, the Holy Spirit who seals our lives for the day of redemption to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Have a good week.